If I didn't get you with a good morning this morning, trust me, I wanted to. I just can't be everywhere at once. Oh, good morning. Oh, oh no. There it is. The bulletin, you know. It's, uh, it's a lot like a mini game of hide and seek that we play every Sunday morning. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. That's from Acts 3, 7. I'm going to be looking at Acts 3 today, which um, begins <coughs> with a man being healed, which I think the last time I preached out of Acts 3, that's what I focused on. I'm actually going to be looking at the verses after that a little closer, but I don't want you to miss... Um, I don't want you to miss the, the lead up to what, what Peter and John are speaking about. So I'm going to start at verse 1, and I'm going to read the account, uh, verses 1 through 10, and then move on from there. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I, ha what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. I'm going to just stop there for a second. So this man is begging outside the temple gate, and it's my belief, and correct me if I'm wrong, I have the ability to do that. He is a cripple, so he isn't actually welcome in the temple. So he sits outside the temple and begs. Something really beautiful happens here. They give the man his ability to walk. That's not insignificant. And by they, I'm saying God gave him the ability to walk. They just said, rise and walk, and God healed him. But you'll notice what he does immediately is Peter takes him into the temple. He was born lame. He didn't get to go into the temple. The biggest mercy that is being shown here isn't that he can now walk. It's that he can now be a part of the worship of God corporately. He can come in. He is welcomed in. It's not insignificant that he can walk. In fact, that's miraculous. But in being able to walk, he is now allowed to walk into the temple. And didn't you notice, isn't that the man that used to beg outside the temple at the gate called Beautiful? No one says, isn't that the guy who's lame who comes to temple? 
because he couldn't. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our father, was glorified, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disown the Holy and Righteous One and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets have spoken. Who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This is, um, again, this is the part that really leapt out at me as I was going through this is what Peter and John are, are saying to the fellow Israelites, the other people in the temple. Why are you surprised? That's He starts with, why are you surprised? I believe I've seen miracles. They never cease to surprise me. I also love that immediately we have a tendency to elevate the disciples as being otherworldly. They just so happen to be Christians. They said it's not because we're righteous. We already saw what Peter did in the Gospels, at the end of the Gospels. Peter denied Christ. And here he is a few chapters later, and God is using him to heal a lame man. It isn't because Peter and John were perfect. We know Peter and John weren't perfect. It's because Jesus is perfect, because God's perfect will was to heal this man. He says, why are you looking at us like we have some sort of power, like we have something magical? 
I'm paraphrasing, of course. How many of us have seen a ministry that focuses on healing? Anyone seen those buses or whatever on the freeway, the healing ministries? It has so-and-so's name really big on the side as though they carry with them God's power of healing. I believe God heals people. I do believe God heals people. But I think it's really important for us to understand that God doesn't heal people through a person. A specific Christian doesn't have the ability to heal. It is God who heals people. The same God that we worship, the same God that is in our presence has the ability to heal. Doesn't show up with a special guest speaker. I don't believe there's a formulaic way that people receive healing. I believe it's just the mercy of God being manifested. Some of us have been blessed enough to pray for someone and see something miraculous happen. Maybe not instantaneously, but I can assure you that if God has used me to do miracles, it has zero to do with me. Nothing at all. I'm not even good. I'm not holy. I'm being made holy. My God is holy. My God is perfect. I am flawed. Anyone else who I've seen pray for someone and they received healing or their prayer was immediately answered, I can say the truth about them. I like to use myself as an example, and hopefully I don't sound like a narcissist while I'm doing it. I like I statements. I own my I statements. I can say that we or I can say that you, but if I say me, well, I just owned that statement, didn't I? That way, if you get angry or disagree, you can come disagree with me. There's a face to it. I like I statements. They're not confrontational. If it makes me sound like a narcissist, I apologize. <laughs> now you all are listening for him, aren't you? Next time I say I, they'll be like, oh, he's doing it again. Not to mention... Uh, we all have Bibles, correct? If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one before you leave. But we all have Bibles. We all read our Bibles. And sometimes when we're reading our Bibles, there is indiscrepancy in between what I read and what Don read and what Albert read and what Scott read and what Phil read. We're, we're reading the same Bible. Every once in a while, we have an indiscrepancy. I like when I have already stated when I read this, what I see. That way I didn't just close down the conversation so that Don can say, well, when I read my Bible, I see this. And Albert can do the same, and Scott can do the same, and Phil can do the same, and Austin can do the same. He can say, when I read my Bible, this is what I see. Is one of us going to be right? Maybe. Is one of us going to be wrong? Maybe. That was just a little disclaimer because I've, I actually had someone very lovingly say, why do you always talk about yourself? I'm the only one I really know. 
It's what I got. There's certain things that we have all talked about, and I can say we decided this, or church council decided this, or um, Bill and I were talking and we thought this. I can say that. It's very difficult for me, unless it's explicitly written in Scripture, to say God says this. I can say Jesus said this in this chapter. And I can ask a very uh, biblical question of how do you read it? I'm not sure if you've ever picked up that question in the Bible, but I'd like to point it out for you. Sometime when you're reading through the gospel, look for this question. How do you read it? It's in there. When I read this account, I'm blown away by the miracle as everyone is. I also love the detail that his feet and his legs and ankles were made strong. Anybody ever spent a long time in bed? When you first stand up, that atrophy, I think that's what it's called. Oh, you're so weak. I had my appendix removed probably more than six months ago. I still don't feel as uh, awake and alive as I did before that. I've had COVID twice. That takes a toll. The second time was nothing, though. It felt like allergies. The first time, oh, my goodness. My goodness. That was special. But I love the detail that they give in Scripture that his feet and his ankle were made strong. He didn't have that atrophy. He starts running and leaping and praising God. I'm not sure that I could run and leap and praise God right now. I've never been crippled. I am out of shape. Although round is a shape, so maybe I'm not. I like to tell my sixth graders that I'm built like a pear with a flat back. You'll never unsee it. Peter and John also tell the people what they're guilty of. The Messiah came and you disowned him and you turned him over to be killed and you asked for a murderer to be released. I think it's really important that people know the threat they're under sometimes. And they model this. He also then immediately in verse 17 says, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. You didn't know any better. You were doing what you thought the right thing was at the time. And what is absolutely what I think the most important part of this, as far as things we can apply, is knowing that these people very literally denied Jesus and turned him over to be crucified and then asked for a murderer to be released. Has anyone done that in here? Maybe not literally. We've done close. If you're being honest, all of us will be like, in a manner of speaking, I probably have done that. But none of us have literally denied Jesus and called for his crucifixion. I love the saying, and it's extra biblical, but where there's life, there's hope. They don't just say, well, you're doomed. They don't say that. They don't say that at all. In fact, he tells them, you guys didn't know what you were doing. 
You acted in ignorance, and so did the leaders. They acted in ignorance. When you read the crucifixion account, you can actually get a sense that these people believed they were doing the right thing. At least that's how I read it. When I read the crucifixion account, other than the Roman soldiers, they were just being cruel. But a lot of the people in the crowd, I truly think we're trying to honor God and the established religion that God set up in the Old Testament. Were they right? No. No, they were not right. But I think they thought they were right. But not only does he give them that, I don't want to call it an out, but that bit of understanding. You know what? You messed up. You didn't know any better. In verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come. Sorry, I lost my spot. From the Lord. Repent and turn to God, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He's talking to people who literally, physically denied Jesus and turned him over to be crucified. Now, I have a tendency to feel that all sins are the same because all sins separate us from God. Has anything you've done had that weight and gravity to it of denying Christ to his face and turning him over to be crucified? Think of this in a more human way. Do you think that your sins make you unreachable to Christ? Some of us struggle with that, feeling like our sins have made us unreachable to Christ. Am I the only one that struggles with that? Anybody else? Anybody brave enough to, to just give me a little wink, little head nod, something? Okay, thank you. I see you. What have I done that would make me unreachable to Christ? I believe that God created this whole wide world with all of these people all these amazing scientific structures that I can barely fathom. I teach science to sixth graders. The sixth grade level of science baffles me sometimes because it all makes sense. It's incredible. All of this is put together, and I believe all of this was put together by God. I believe in the miracles I read in Scripture. I believe that God came to earth through a virgin birth in a filthy little stable somewhere in Bethlehem. I can believe all of that. What I struggle with is the love of God, God forgiving my sins. And that is silly. I believe Jesus can walk on water. Why do, I have Why do I struggle to feel that Jesus can forgive me? I do believe Jesus can forgive me, and I do believe Jesus has forgiven me. This isn't a proclamation of lack of faith. I'm just being honest here. 
And I know more than one person sitting here has struggled for years or used to struggle probably for years with the idea of being forgiven. Do you think that Christ died for nothing? <clears throat> who did Jesus really die for then? If not for me, if not for you, who did Christ die for? Do you believe Christ died for nothing? I assure you that Jesus died for you, that you will never look into the eyes of another human being that Jesus was not willing to die for, regardless of how much their sins may bother you, may offend you, may turn your stomach. You will never look into the eyes of someone that Jesus was not willing to die for. Verse 19, repent then and turn to God. What does that mean? And Rob's done a great job over the years of explaining what repentance means. There's two words that are translated into repentance. One means to turn away. Turn away from what you're doing wrong. The other one means to change the way that you think. That first one's easier than the second one. You can stop doing something and still want to do it. Changing the way you think. That is a very difficult thing to do, especially if you're dealing with humanity, when you're dealing with your own humanity. For some of us, and I would say for most of us, it's easier to forgive other people than forgive ourselves. And I think I've got it figured out finally why that is. It's easy for me to forgive someone who's wronged me. Well, not easy, but easier to forgive someone that's wronged me because I don't know their motivation. I don't know if there was a misunderstanding. I don't know. They have that area of uh, gray where I can give them some grace because I don't know their inner workings. It could have totally been a misunderstanding. Very easy to forgive another human being. It's harder to forgive myself because I am privy to my own depravity. I know the thought process. I know what led up to each and every individual sin that I have felt convicted about. I know how I got there. I know every willful disobedience that went into it. And I think inherently then it becomes more difficult to forgive ourselves. But I would highly encourage you, forgive yourself. If you are repentant, forgive yourself. Do you not trust that Christ can forgive you? You have to learn to forgive yourself. And forgiveness, I believe, is a journey, much like I believe when people say, I love when people give accounts of asking Jesus into their heart. Please don't ever stop doing that. I love when people give accounts of their baptism. Don't stop doing that. Give those accounts. But what happened next? Sanctification is a journey. This walk with Jesus is a journey. It's not an event. Forgiveness sometimes is also a journey. It's not an event. Things that I've forgiven years ago, every once in a while, I'll just be smacked in the face with a little bitterness. It came back. Does that mean forgiveness didn't work? No, it just means that I still have to forgive. Sometimes some forgiveness in my life has been almost a daily thing until I finally can 
quote, get over it. I need to be able to forgive. God says he remembers our sins no more. That is a God quality that we don't possess. You are going to remember. You're going to remember. We're still called to forgive. How effective would we be as pastors or elders or even church members if we weren't willing to forgive ourselves, if we were still back there? Well, you know, in 2003, I made some really bad decisions and they haunt me. Welcome to humanity. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you were a part of it. I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry you made that decision, whatever it is. But it's back there. At one point, Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. And we kind of make a practice of that. But I often wonder in that illustration, and I know it wasn't an illustration, but when we use that as an illustration in church, of telling the devil, get behind me. Why don't we leave him there? If you've already been forgiven, if you've already moved past it, why do we keep checking on it? I don't have an answer for that. It's a real question, though. Why, why do we keep checking on our previous sins? It's over. Let it be over. Part of repentance is repentance. Part of our salvation is embracing God, embracing Jesus, embracing Christ and what he wants for us to follow as wholeheartedly as we can to be led by the Holy Spirit. Not necessarily by our emotions, but by the Holy Spirit. Teacher moment, show of hands, how many of you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Really? Okay, okay, that's better. Goodness, people got bashful for a second. If you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, if you believe you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we should probably make a practice of listening to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Growing up as a Christian, you have a tendency to make a long list of things that you aren't allowed to do and try to get to as close as you possibly can to doing those things without actually doing them. I'm not unique in that. I could say that as an I statement, but I am not unique in that. We find out what we're not allowed to do, and then we like get right up to that line and we lean against it. That's human nature. I think as you grow in spirituality, though, as you grow closer to Jesus, as you're listening more to the prompts of the Holy Spirit, you start to pay more attention to what you get to do. Not what you're not allowed to do, but what you get to do. What you get to be a part of. When someone in your life is sick, and I know for certain, everyone in here has someone in their life that's sick. Do you realize that you get to pray for them? You get to comfort them? You get to speak actual truth and wisdom to those people and to each other? That's something you get to do. You get to commune with the God of creation who created all this wonderful stuff that I don't understand. 
You get to be in fellowship with God. You get to. It's not this wonderful long list of 613 things that you're not allowed to do. Because honestly, sometime go through Leviticus, look at that giant list of 613 things, and tell me how many of them you actually want to do. We're looking at it backwards. Look at the things we get to do. We get to live differently. We get to walk in newness. I can't do that. I'm a Christian. Well, good for you. That's conviction. Go with that. Go with that. Do not act against your convictions. Have convictions. We need convictions. We also have this amazing privilege where God calls us sons and daughters. Why not look at that instead? I get to pray for the people that are upsetting me. I get to forgive people. I get to trust God in all these situations that I'm not in control of. And as you get older, you realize you're really not in control of any of them. Honestly, the only thing that is within your realm of control is how you're going to respond. That is it. Things are just going to keep happening and you're going to keep responding. And you're going to make these beautiful plans and they're going to fall apart. And you're going to make a, a, a plan for a beautiful vacation and then you're going to have appendicitis. And then you're going to make a plan for this or that. And then grandma's going to get sick. You're going to make beautiful plans, and it doesn't mean a thing. Plans are great. Make plans. Keep planning. Keep building. Christian church is bought into this weird idea, and it's not a weird idea. It's a beautiful idea. How many of you believe that Jesus is coming back, and he's going to take us home? That's it? Or you guys just don't want to participate? Okay. We believe and profess that Christ is coming back to take us home. Some of us are so convinced that Christ is coming back really, really soon. Fantastic. That would be amazing. We should never lose sight of the fact that we were put here to steward this place. To take care of this place. Why aren't we building? And I don't mean buildings. Why aren't we building? We don't want to just cloister and wait to be rescued. We are salt and light. Let's build things. Let's go out there. Have your big family. Start something new. Plan as though Jesus isn't coming back in your lifetime. Then if you're wrong, it'll be a pleasant surprise. There's no fear about Christ coming back when we're listening There's no fear. What kind of church are you leaving for your grandkids? That's a real question. What kind of church are you leaving for their question or for their grandkids? You see, at the beginning of Acts, they're still looking at the sky, waiting for Jesus to come right back. This is not a new phenomenon. Two thousand years, Christians have been looking at the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back. Is he coming back? Yes. I believe he is coming back. 
He's coming back exactly as it says in scriptures. What are we doing until then? That's a real question. What are we doing until then? Are we biding our time? Inviting people every once in a while to come to church? Are we building the kingdom of God on earth? Because it could be a while. That should not be a depressing thought either, but it could be a while. Christ has tarried for 2,000 years. What if it was another 2,000 years and we're missing opportunities to build? And again, I'm not talking about physical structures. You know, if I build it, it's probably not going to stand for long. Although, if there are things that need built, I know who to call in the congregation. I'll stand in your way and carry bundles. That's fine. Let's follow Christ. Let's turn from our evil desires. Let's turn away from all this unforgiveness, all this stuff that's holding us back. It, it has no relevance in our lives has no relevance in our lives. And we look at the society around us and we're like, it is destroyed. No, it isn't. It isn't. There's different ways of looking at things. Are things perfect? No, not at all. Are our leaders perfect? That's almost laughable. Almost laughable. not give up. You could have been born at any time in history, and for whatever reason, God decided now was your time. Now, what are we doing with it? It's the same God. The same God that we follow, that Peter and John followed when they told a man to get up and walk. What are we doing with that same God that can miraculously heal and raise people from the dead? What are we doing? That isn't to say we aren't doing good things. If you look at our church and the things that we've been able to accomplish, we should praise God at some of the things we've been able to do. I love this congregation. I love all of us. All of us imperfect people that love Jesus. But what are we going to do? And hopefully you found hope in that, not just, you know, sadness. There's no sadness in that statement. These are things we get to do. Things we get to do. People have spent... Oh, this is silly, but there's people that have been looking for immortality forever. Alchemists study them sometimes. They're hilarious. In historical context, they seem hilarious. They were looking for immortality. They were going to find it through their pseudoscience. We have immortality. People look for the fountain of youth. Oh, we already found that. You're allowed to act like maybe you have the answer. 
But why aren't we telling people? Penn Julier is a comedian and an illusionist. You probably know who he is. Penn and Teller, he's the tall one. There's a little guy that never talks. There's a tall one that never stops talking. That tall guy, brilliant human being. He's an atheist. He is a very outspoken atheist. Someone asked him once if he gets mad when Christians preach at him. And he said, actually, I find it offensive when they don't. If you truly believe that there's a hell and I'm going there, how hateful are you not to tell me? That may be one of the wisest things I've ever heard. If you believe in what we profess to believe, do you love your neighbor? I'm not telling you to tell them that you're, they're going to hell in every breath, but if you believe that Jesus loves this person, why wouldn't you act like it? Why wouldn't I act like it? That isn't all, I don't have it all figured out either. Even within our church, this beautiful congregation of beautiful people that for some reason have decided that I'm okay. Christ has forgiven me much. And I've got a problem with Don over here. And I'm not willing to talk to Don about it. It is my problem. Or if I got a problem with Austin, or Austin has a problem with me, which would probably be more realistic. I talk about him constantly. And he isn't willing to forgive me, or I'm not willing to forgive him. Well, then the problem is me. If you have a problem with two people, then you have a problem. Is there anything you can do about it? Not always. But this Christ that loved so much, and gave so much and forgave so much. Let's live like we know him. If you can do so without pain, please stand with me. I love it. <laughs> oh, Father God, I thank you for each of these people. Father God, I thank you for Valley View Mennonite Church. Lord, I thank you for all the ways that you've blessed us. I pray that you continue to bless us. I pray that you continue to draw us together. Father, I thank you for the little children and their busy little hands and mouths and all of it. Father God, I thank you that you blessed us with children. Lord, I pray a special blessing on Vacation Bible School this week coming up, Lord. I pray that we would be a lighthouse on this hill people would be drawn to it and that we can adequately minister to these children. Father, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. That's going to bring us to our time of announcements, prayer, and sharing, which is led by volunteer! Exclamation point. Would anyone care to play the role of volunteer this week? Well, I'll let you think about it for a moment. Oh, Albert's going to do it? Oh, well, I saw you shift. You either shifted at an inopportune time or you're volunteering. So Albert just was voluntold. He's going to do it. Thank you, Albert. Um, I, I do want to point out some things. This Tuesday night, uh, we always have a Bible study on Tuesday night. I'd highly encourage you to come to it. But this Tuesday night's a little different. 
Um, Jema Eastman, our missionary in the Dominican Republic, is actually going to be here at the same time uh, Bible study usually is. She'll be in here sharing about the Dominican and the stuff that we're supporting as a church. If you can possibly make it on Tuesday night at 730, please come and just listen to what Jema has to say about the way that they're touching these people in the Dominican Republic. It's very significant. It's completely worth hearing. And for those of you who do attend Bible study, I'm sorry, I forgot to announce that at Bible study. 